couple things before I start. I uh, wanted to remind everyone of the, the, uh, the deal that's being held for Bryson over in Wheatland at First State Bank Conference Center today. So if you went to the thing last night, the, the, the bingo youth fundraiser, way to go. Um, thank you for that support. It was a lot of fun, even though I didn't win anything. Um, well, I did actually win a few items in the silent auction, so I guess, you know, I, I got something there. If you, if you didn't win anything in the silent auction and you're disappointed, they're having a silent auction at this one, too. Um, it's from 1 to 4 p.m. at the First State Bank Conference Center over in Wheatland. And uh, there's also a fund that's been set up at Platte Valley Bank in Wheatland for Bryson. And, you know, all those expenses that they're having to undergo uh, right now, so please be aware of that. And then um, also, uh, I didn't pray for Dan. I meant to pray for you this morning. Dan's working on treatment for uh, uh, a deal in his neck, and uh, um, so please be praying for Dan, uh, Cheryl, and then um, I just wanted to mention that uh, Karen's dad, Bill, was in the hospital with some, some something like a bronchitis type infection and needed a lot of oxygen he's is he home okay great to hear um and so let me let me just pray for those things uh god again we 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 just i pray that um that you would put your hand on dan i i pray that you would make that whatever it, that's that's in his neck what they don't what they i pray that you would make it something that is not what they think it is Lord, I pray that it's not cancer. I pray that it hasn't returned, that it's something different. Um, Lord, I, and I think of Jerry uh, Powers, too, going through the treatment that he has for um, those spots in his bladder, and I just praise you that that, that was caught early and, and pray for the, the treatments that he has coming up and that you would use that to, to completely eradicate uh, any bad cells that might still be there. Uh, for anybody else that's here this morning, Lord, that, that has a burden that's heavy on their heart, um, I pray that you would help them to understand that when they bring that to you, that you hear, that you love them, and that, that you are working right now on, on their behalf in, in whatever way that looks like. Um, and Father, I just also, um, this song that we sang this morning, um, I pray that it would be true for us. It's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty bold for us to sing that, um, that you would lead us uh, to trust you um, where our trust is without borders, that, that, that we would ask you to take us deeper than our feet could ever wander, that our faith may be made stronger. Lord, may that be true. May we hold on to you when that is true in our life, when, when you have led us into deeper water. May we respond by turning to you and trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, if you would, please turn to uh, the book of Jonah. It is one of the minor prophets. It's, uh, it's after the book of Obadiah. So it's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Uh, just before the New Testament, and we're going to be in there this morning. A familiar story, right? Everybody has heard about Jonah and the whale. Uh, even if you could probably talk to anybody on the street and say, hey, have you ever heard the name Jonah? And they would probably tell you that, that yeah, I've, I've heard of that story, um, Jonah and the whale. Kids love the story. They love singing about it. Um, Jonah is also the subject of debate over its historical factuality. It, at least it is among scholars who don't submit to the Bible as the very words of God. And there are such people in our world. They just can't believe that a man could survive three days in the belly of a giant fish. It, it just, it seems absurd to them. It seems like myth or a tall tale. Um, no pun intended, of course. And, and that has them convinced that it couldn't be true. They categorize it along with the boy who cried wolf and the snake and the traveler 
Jesus, however, did not think Jonah's story was a myth because he refers to it as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, as we will see up here, Matthew chapter 12, verses 40 through 41. For, Jesus says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And we will see more and more about that connection as we go through the series. Um, Jesus would not have said, as Jonah, had that not happened. Uh, he would not have referred to that as truth. And Jonah has also become a part of our American culture in the sense that someone who is running away, maybe there's a, a, a person who many believe has been called to be a pastor, maybe he believes he's been called to be a pastor himself, yet he's kind of running the opposite direction, he's refusing to, to follow that, we would, might call that person a Jonah. We, we, would, we would say, you're, you're, you're acting just like Jonah, God is calling you to this, but, but you are doing just the opposite, and of course that uh, doesn't just apply to people called into full-time ministry. That applies to each and every one of us in this room because Scripture tells us that we are all called to be in the ministry. We are call, all called to do the work of evangelism. We are not all gifted in evangelism, but we are all called to do the work of an evangelist. We are all called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's simply what God was doing of Jonah. The book of Jonah is found in the Old Testament, and yes, Jonah was a prophet, though we aren't told what he prophesied. We're, we're going to see that, that he basically had a five-word sermon, and, and that was his message to the city of Nineveh. We're not told, like in all of the other uh, prophetic books, what they actually said. This is more about Jonah himself and, and his obedience slash disobedience with God, and that is what teaches us the most. That is what the book intends to teach, and, and we're going to see it's, it's very much a mirror, uh, a, a very much a mirror into our own lives. It seems that, that at first blush, Jonah was just a man minding his own business, and then God shows up and gives him marching orders, but he had already answered God's call in his life. He was already a prophet in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. It tells us that Jonah, Jonah preached the word of the Lord to Jeroboam, a wicked king in Israel, before he called him to go to the city of Nineveh. And this is what the Lord says in verses 24 um, through 25. He, that's Jeroboam, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Bad leader. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. Jonah was a prophet. He has already had some ministry success with the Lord. He has already gone to a bad guy and given him a message that he may not have wanted to here, he already walked with God a good portion of his life. He, he knows God to be the protector of Israel. Um, he knows God to be a strong tower. He knows God to be worthy to, to be praised. He knows these things in his head. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, it seems to me that his response is, is less like someone who doesn't have any experience with God or just doesn't understand what God is asking. It's there are other reasons, and we're not told those reasons in the first chapter or the first three verses, which we're covering this morning. If you haven't, turn there to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and let's read those. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And headed for Tarshish, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee 
from the Lord. So the first thing we see in this narrative is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him. We aren't told how this word of the Lord came to him. We aren't told that God spoke it to him or it was in a vision or an audible voice. Was it, was it maybe influence of a biblical text? Regardless of the method, it's obvious that, that Jonah himself is very clear that God has called him because of his response. He responds to the call of God. There's, there's no doubt that God spoke this to him. It's, and, and it's usually very clear in our own lives when God calls us to something, isn't it? I mean, we, um, we often, I think, attempt to overcomplicate it, God speaking to us. But, but if, if we are listening and we're trusting the Holy Spirit, it can be clear as the day is outside. It, it can be clear it, if we're trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to us. You know, you're trying to make a decision and all of a sudden these doors just open wide open and, and, and then some others shut behind you or you're trying to go this way and, and you're just meeting with resistance. So, so the, the prayer would be, okay, Lord, which direction do you want me to go? And then you take a step that way and then sometimes the doors are so wide open that you almost wonder, should I actually do this? Um, God speaks to us. Very clearly, you know, when God brought me here to this place, Lingle, um, I was not on my map. I, I didn't even know it existed, honestly. I knew where Torrington was. We played basketball there once in a while. Um, I guess we did play basketball in Lingle. I probably was on the court at the same time that you were. I'm sure we beat you that day. No, actually, we... I was younger. I do. Much younger, right? <laughs> um, I graduated from college. I was, going to be a, I was going to be a teacher, didn't get a job. I mean, I was at the top of everybody's list. Many of you heard this, but many of you haven't. I was at the top of everybody's list. Didn't get it. I was told by professors, David, you, with, with, with everything that you know and all of this, blah, 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 you'll get to choose where you teach. I didn't get to choose where I taught. I turned down a job in April before I graduated in Bird City, Kansas. Very few of you, I'm sure, know where that is. And uh, never got another offer after that. So I thought, well, you know, God, he's given me the farm. So I moved back to the farm. I'm farming. And, and, and I knew a guy from college. His name was Derek Jackson. He was the youth pastor here. We went on a mission trip together to Kentucky. We were going to go to L.A. The, the L.A. riots occurred. Um, the board here said, you're not going to L.A. So we went to Kentucky. And uh, when we got back, Derek resigned, and somebody from the elder board here called me and said, hey, we don't have a youth pastor. We were asking the kids. They said, call you. I was in, at that point, I was, I was in it, because I'd been doing the youth group at my home church in Albin, um, volunteer basis, and I was farming, and I was custom feeding pigs, and and whenever I'd take the kids on a conference, I'd feel bad because my dad was having to do all my chores. And when I said no, because I needed, had work to do and we, I couldn't take the kids on a trip, I felt guilty for that. So I'm like, I got I to gotta choose one or the other. And then I get this phone call that says, hey, would you be interested in coming up here as our youth pastor? And, and I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And, and, and I came up here and I visited with a bunch of people downstairs and, and they said, yeah, we want you to come. And. And so I had a decision to make, a pretty big decision, actually, uh, uh, for me. I mean, I'm, I'm giving up something that I love for something that I'm not sure if I'm going to love or not. Uh, and I said yes, and I didn't feel that great about my, I just, it didn't, it didn't feel good. So I'm like, well, did I make the wrong decision? So then I, I, I decided the other way. I said, okay, I'm not going to go. This is all happening in myself, not, I didn't tell anybody this. And I felt even worse. I'm like, okay, that's the wrong decision. Um, you know, the, the, the anxiety that I'm feeling is I'm moving from home to another place. And who knew that it was likely going to be the rest of my life? I mean, I, that was in 1992. And uh, it, was it was obvious to me that God was, was lining me up to bring me that's how he speaks to us. We can, and, and it, is, it, it was very, very clear to me. It was very clear to, to Jonah what God was asking him to do. And oftentimes it's very clear to each and every one of us when God 
asks us to do something. Sometimes it's, it's just reading into the word of God on a daily basis and, and he speaks that into your life. It's, it, and, and there's no doubt this is, this is where God is leading me. It, it is our guide and a major light unto our path. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and the word of the Lord comes to us as well. I guess a question I could ask is, are you listening? Are we listening? I, I pray that you are. Next, we see what the word was. It was God's call to go. Go, in verse 2, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Go, go to the great city of Nineveh. Very specific. There's no doubt what he would, God gave him the address. Nineveh, go there, go to that place. Take my message, God says, and deliver it to them. Has often happened in the mission of an Old Testament prophet. Jonah was to take bad news to these people. He was to preach against it. Now, who wouldn't sort of, you know, resist that a little bit? All the prophets did many times. They're like, really? Really, God, that's what you want me to tell them? Are you sure? You got my back because, you know, I, I'm sure when Jonah went into to Nineveh eventually that he was looking over his shoulder every moment of every day. Preach against it. In other words, go tell them all the wrong things they're doing. Point out to them the wickedness that they are engaged in and, and I guess they weren't seeing it. Their blind spots were, were prominent. Um, their wickedness had come up before the Lord and God needed to get a message to them and Jonah was his chosen messenger. God said, Jonah, go. Go. Go to that great city and preach against it. And, and, and that's a very similar call that we all receive, isn't it? Go. God has given you that same call. Go. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor David? Well, look up here at your screen at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I'm sure you know this. Many of you probably have this memorized. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is just before he ascends into heaven, after he's resurrected. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted still. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I have the authority. It's been given to me. Therefore, this is what I'm telling you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go. Go and what? Go and make disciples. Go and proclaim the good news of the gospel to people who haven't heard it, to people that have heard it a hundred times and they need to hear it that one more time so that they will take that step of trust and believe. Help people to understand that God loves them, that, that Jesus literally gave up his place in heaven, came to earth as a human being. Sounds like a fish story, doesn't it? In a miraculous way. In fact, if humans hadn't testified to these things happening, it, we would wonder if it's myth or if it even happened. But there were, there were eyewitnesses that we have records. Um, they have written this stuff down. Many witnesses. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a Roman cross, which was prophesied, mind you, hundreds of years before, even before Roman crucifixion was a thing. We were told how the Messiah was going to die. And there were many witnesses that saw that as well. They saw him buried, and then three days later, they saw him alive. He was resurrected, and he is alive today. And many from that Matthew chapter 28 passage saw him ascend into heaven, which is where he is today. Alive, coming to God the Father on our behalf, on behalf of his children. Those who have trusted and believed in his name. That is the message that we are to go with. That is the message that makes disciples. And after people trust Christ, we are then told to baptize them 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a public announcement of that step of faith and belief that they have just made. And what are, what are we doing today here every Sunday and in Sunday school and in our Bible studies and in our everyday personal quiet times and devotions? What are we doing? We are learning. We are being taught what Jesus commanded. We are to be students. We are to be teachers. And we can trust that Jesus will be with us to the very end of the age because he said he would be. And he is. We don't have to be afraid. Jonah didn't have to be afraid, though. I wonder if maybe he wasn't a bit afraid because of number three, the people of Jonah's call. The people of Jonah's call. God wasn't calling Jonah to a tourist town. You know, like Hawaii. You know, sometimes you hear, you hear a missionary story and they're like, we're going to the Virgin Islands and people are like, oh yeah, wow, tough place that's gonna be, right? Probably. There's a reason he's sending them there. Um, he's not being called to a beach city to walk around and pray for people. Though if God calls you to that, what should you do? <laughs> Go. Go. No, God's call was to Nineveh. Nineveh was likely the most evil city that Jonah could think of in his mind. Worse than Las Vegas, worse than San Francisco, worse than Portland or New York City, worse than Gotham City, more like the Gaza Strip. More like the Gaza Strip, and, and I'm sure similar to the Gaza Strip. Not everyone there was evil, of course. But I bet the majority were because we are told that it was not a very good place. The whole city was like Hell's Kitchen in New York City. Nineveh was the oldest and most populous city of the ancient Assyrian Empire. Arch enemies of Israel. Uh, it is situated on the east bank of the Tigris River and encircled by the modern city of Mosul, Iraq today. That is where Nineveh was located. And it was located at the intersection of important north, south, and east, west trade routes. All kinds of people in and out, in and out. And its pro, uh, proximity to a tributary of the Tigris, the, the Kossar River, added to the value of the fertile agricultural and pastoral lands in the district. And it was an enormous city by those standards of that day. Too big for Jonah to get in, deliver the message, and get out in a day. It says it took him three days to wander around the city. And, and I don't know if he did it you know, like, the, like the Google Earth video cars where they drive up and down every street. I don't know if he walked up and down every street. I don't, I don't know what that looked like. I mean, how else would you proclaim the message that God wanted proclaimed? Man, I bet those three days were nerve-wracking. I mean, if you've ever been on a mission to a city where, you know, I... I I spent three months in Mexico City, the biggest city I've ever been in in my lifetime, and, and at least once was ended up because we were not very smart in a place that we had heard horror stories about, and here we are in this place. And God led us out of there in a pretty miraculous way. We were scared, yet we were still there. It's like last week when we talked about the level of trust of those three people when they got on the, the airplane. If you didn't listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen. Even though the third person was shaking and sweating and, and, and did all they, it, it took all they had to walk down the jetway and get on the plane and buckle in, and, um, they, they all had the same amount of trust in the plane that it was going to get them where they were going. If God tells you to go and you go trembling... You're being obedient because you're going. 
We need to remember that, I think, because the enemy will try to discourage us if we're weak in the knees when we say yes. Well, I should have the confidence. Well, maybe not today. Today maybe isn't that day. Maybe that's coming in a year or two or three when God proves himself to you that, that, that he is right there with you. That's when that confidence comes. Um, Ninevites were very cruel people. They were known for their savagery. In fact, when they would conquer a nation, they often would torture their prisoners before executing them and were known to burn boys and girls alive. The Assyrians were enemies of Israel. They tormented them for years. They eventually conquered them and carried many of, the, of them away in, in the 1700s B.C. Those are the people that God told Jonah to go to and preach against. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That would be hard, wouldn't it? I think we can certainly understand it was hard for Jonah to obey God in that case. In fact, it sounds similar to us, doesn't it? We are to go and make disciples. We are also to what? Same message God has for Jonah. Look, look up here at these words from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 for four, through 48. Again, words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that they may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you, that that you may, that they may be, that you may be children is that right? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. God's grace is greater, isn't it? You know, my mind wants to put that they in there. Why? Because that's why we're praying for them. Right? That they too would be children of their Father in heaven. But who would do that? I, I mean, Jesus is saying, what is he saying? He's, praying, he's saying, pray for those who mistreat you. He's saying, pray for those who cheat you. He's saying, pray for those who hurt you. He's saying, pray for those who steal, kill, and destroy. He's saying, pray for the terrorists in the Gaza Strip, which might be easy for us because it's not our women and children and family members that they are burning and killing. But he's asking the same thing of them because this message is for all people. I mean, you gotta, be, you gotta be thinking, whoa, 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 wait, wait, our, that can't be right. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, there is some serious rubber meat in the road right there, isn't there? That's not just a fluffy motto. That is how Jesus wants us to live our life. And that is challenging so think about it in your own life. Who are your enemies? If, if you had to make a list of your enemies, who would be on that list? Who is persecuting you? Personally, or your family, or people that you know. And then ask yourself this question. What did Jesus command What did Jesus command? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
Jesus' words later in his life fit here too, I think. It's, it's Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. I mean, we can relate to that, right? The oppression of the government or the government requiring us to do things that we don't think we should have to. We would classify those things under there. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in that category of many were tax collectors, sinners, terrorists, bad husbands, bad wives, all of them. You, me. Who did Jesus serve? What did Jesus experience? Those who, who persecuted him, those who spit on him, they beat him, they ridiculed him. His own family didn't trust him. And eventually those who killed him. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And if they were to repent and believe, that includes terrorists who have killed women and infants. It includes people who call evil good and good evil. It includes people who murder the unborn. We are to pray for them. We are to serve them. We are to go and we are to make disciples. What will your response be? What is your response? Which brings us to number four, Jonah's response to God's call. I can, I mean, I don't think anybody in this room listening to this message online or watching it, whatever you're doing, I don't think any of us don't get the difficulty that Jonah was having. I mean, I've heard, I've heard the gamut of emotions and responses that Israel should take. From back off and do nothing to, you know, nuke them. Just the whole deal. I can understand his reluctance to go to a city that is not just an enemy of Israel, but through courses of time, through history, tried to annihilate all of their people. And unlike Isaiah, when he was called as a prophet, who proclaimed his messages from inside Jerusalem and sent them to the scary places, God told Jonah to actually go there. We have missionaries that are from within our doors here, our walls here, that are in dangerous places. And they're, they're not in the safest place that they could be, but they're in the best place that they could be, and that's right in the middle of the will of God. And we, we family members in the room, have to trust them to God. That may be you someday. Um, Jonah went directly, eventually, to the very people to proclaim the message God had in that very city. So what was his response? What was Jonah's response? He did, he did exactly the opposite. You can't get more opposite to, to what God was calling him to do than what Jonah did. Um, so this picture up here on the left-hand side uh, gives us sort of a, a picture of where Jonah was. So you look up there towards the top and you see Nazareth. Gath Heifer was very close to Nazareth. Uh, it's 55 miles from Nazareth to Joppa. And then if we go to the next picture, we can see where God was calling him to go. Um, Nineveh is 550 miles from Joppa. That's still a pretty good trek, right? It's a pretty good journey. Jonah had a lot of time to think about it uh, 
making the journey if he had gone from Joppa to Nineveh. But what he did, he went from Nazareth or Geth Heifer down to Joppa, got on a ship that was sailing 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Have you ever asked somebody something and they said not just no? That's what Jonah does here. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, not going. In fact, um, it's even worse than that. Um, It wasn't as if he simply said no or drug his feet and tarried a bit. He downright rebelled. Um, The text in verse 3 says that he ran away from God. He he tried to get out of the presence of God. Well, we all know that's not possible, but the, the only thing that he could think of to get out of the presence of God was to get as far away from what God was calling him to do as he possibly could. He ran away from God and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do that too. We do that too. We try our best to ignore what God is asking us maybe. You know, we put our fingers in our ears and we go, la, 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 I can't hear you, God, I can't hear you. Whether that's him um, calling us to forgive someone or love someone or be patient with them. Maybe, maybe someone drives us crazy, but Jesus didn't say love your neighbor as yourself if they're cool and easy to get along with, did he? In fact, Jesus says just the opposite of that. He said, if you, big deal, you love people that are cool and you get along with them. That's really a, a huge thing. Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples of the people that you love that are just like you. No, he didn't. What did he say? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? There's nothing that makes an IRS agent more happy than someone that just pays what they're supposed to. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? You see, God's grace is greater, and that's what he calls us to. It's greater. Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your your heavenly Father is perfect. So let's not be like Jonah. Let's wrestle through all the resistance that we are having to God's call on our life. When we're clear about what that call is and we're resisting it, let's take a step back, take a deep breath, and and just be honest. God, you got to give me the strength here to do this. I hear it. This seems to be what you're asking me to do, to go here or to do this or whatever. You're going to have to give it to me. You're going to have to help me. Help me be obedient to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you be patient with the people that God wants you to be patient with. Pray that God would bless people. Pray for your enemies. And and I mean, genuinely, pray. Pray that God would bless them. You know, when I was uh, coaching second and third graders in soccer years ago when my son was a second or third grader. We had some girls on the team. They were really short. Um, I mean, really short. And we were, we, were, we were in the middle of the game, and, and they're like in tears out there on the field. Uh, and so I, I call the timeout, and I bring them over, and I'm like, what's wrong? What's going on? And, and they, they look up at me, in, tears in their eyes, and they said, they're making fun of us. I said, what are they saying? They said, they're calling us shrimps. Now, this is big for a second or third grader, right? And I looked at them, and I said, are you tall? And they said, no. I said, well, then they're not wrong. You are short, okay? Now, this is, and this is what I said next for the whole team. Look, guys, this is going to happen to you all the time. Kids on other teams are going to make fun of you. 
Why? To get the response that they're getting right now. So what you need to do is you need to look them in the eyes when they call you a name or whatever. You need to smile and you need to say thank you. That's the response. Thank you. And if you do that, they'll quit because it ain't working. And they did. I mean, I, I, I hope that they're still practicing that today. Now, he's not saying don't feel hurt when people do that because that's what happens. That's why they're doing that. But it takes the sting away if we recognize that that other person is also created in the image of God. And though they may not be living for him, he still loves them. And he cares for them just as much as he cares for me. And, and what I should pray for is that they too would experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And that they too one day would, would trust him in times of difficulty instead of lashing out at other people and trying to make them smaller than, than they are. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. We need his help. And go, go and love, go and serve, go and pray, and go and make disciples of all nations. That's God's call for each and every one of us. And it's, it's a call that Jonah said, absolutely not, not doing it. And he ran. He ran away. And if you're running away from something that God is calling you to do, stop. Stop running. Because if you don't, there may be a big fish in your future or something like that. I want to end with, uh, with something that I read yesterday. It's a, it was a post of a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, and it just, it really seemed to speak to kind of where our world is today, and, and I thought it was very thoughtful, and I don't often agree with everything that this person says, but I... I think he hit the nail on the head with this, so, so let me read this, and then we'll close um, with a song. Today, I saw two radically different video takes on the Israel-Palestine War. One, one posted by Laura Logan, I don't know who that is, is a series of videos of children, grammar school-age children. They said things like this. A cute little girl from Jerusalem. We have to make war to prove that we are stronger than the Jews. Another young girl, people love Palestine and they are ready to die for Palestine. Another, right now I am prepared to be a suicide bomber. Another, with Allah's help, I will fight for ISIS, the Islamic State. Another, I am ready to stab a Jew and drive a car over them. Another, we have to constantly stab them, drive over them and shoot them. Another, stabbing and running over Jews brings dignity to the Palestinians. Another, the Jews lie and say that their temple is under the Al-Aska Mosque. It was never there. Then he says, I post this, and perhaps some of my readers are saying, yes, this is exactly why Israel must annihilate Hamas from the face of the earth. Sounds a lot like the Ninevites, doesn't it? Then he says, I saw another series of videos. Now from Jewish children, children, mind you, Al-Aqsa Mosque will collapse, explode, disappear. I feel I want to kill them. There, are, there will be Arabs, but they will be our slaves. There will be a massive war and all the Arabs will die. These children were saying these things by raising their hands in a group during school and suddenly all the pro-Palestinians are saying, yes, this is exactly why we need to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Think about that and let it sink in. Now, think about it some more. Friends, what does Jesus say? He goes on. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. If someone wants your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus' ethic is counter, ultra counter 
cultural counter world. Now, just in case someone misunderstand me, I am not speaking about nations here or an, an individual's duty within a nation. Nations have a right to defend themselves. So do individual families. He says, I believe deeply that the Second Amendment was perhaps the single greatest and smartest thing the founders ever gave to us. But what in the world is our heart supposed to do? Are we supposed to be taking sides against people made in God's image? Did not God make Jews in his image? Did he not make Arabs in his image? Are not both called and welcome into the kingdom of God through faith? I hear actual language that these people are subhuman. No, they are not subhuman. They may be acting subhuman, but they are not subhuman. They are taken hostage to the devil. They are his slaves. Think about slavery and what a horrible thing that is. It doesn't remove culpability, but it should at least help you understand them a little more. All the more when it is little children being brainwashed on both sides. Just like we have been through our various means of gathering information about the goodness and badness of the Middle East conflict. There's so much more going on here than what people are willing to consider. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Satan is real. And he holds Jews and Arabs hostage to his will, and some Christians act like it too. What is the way forward? For starters, he says, stop parroting whatever you hear on the mainstream media. Equally as important, start thinking about the actual people. Not just the children on both sides, but the deranged men and women as well. And, and think theologically, think biblically. Think of them as humans. Because that's what they are. Watchers involved, not included, but hey, I have no idea who they are. Yes, there is a time for people and nations to defend themselves, and if Israel decides to do this, God help them. He knows the hearts of each person and the machinations of those in leadership that brought them here, and God help those in Gaza and elsewhere, because quite frankly, I fully expect that the end game of this is World War III, and, and that it will come here, I fully anticipate this. He, I, I may disagree there. And then he says this, as for me, and, and this speaks for me too. Whatever comes, I want to do my best to think of all people. Even those who are coming for my head and that of my own family, the way I think Jesus showed that he did even, believe it or not, towards the Pharisees with whom he was often brutal, yet he still ate and drank with them. I hope I'm starting to understand the heart of the earliest church fathers who just didn't care about the politics but were willing to die in the arena to be like their Lord. I'm not there yet, but maybe one day. God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater for us and everyone else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your challenge this morning. God, help our hearts. It's so easy to get wrapped up in emotions and conversations and Facebook posts and comments and 24-hour news and God, these are unique times that we're living in today. But you are firmly on your throne. You are sovereign God over all. And we can, we must hold on to you. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Help us to hold on to you. 
And, and I pray, too, that you would help us to be faithful with the message that you've given us. Not just to say it, not just to proclaim it and, and preach it and teach it, but to live it, to live it every day ourselves. God, help us to pray for our enemies. Help us to respond with, yes, I will go with whatever call it is that you put on our life. Help us to not be like Jonah who went the opposite direction. Not just dragging his feet or resisting, but, but rebelling. God, may we not rebel against you for what you've put on our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray for all of those people, all of the... God, all of those people in the Gaza Strip that are just trying to live their lives and there's this this other group that is just abusing and, and using. And, and Lord, I pray for them too. Father, I pray that your will would be done in this situation. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us hearing this message today would, would know that we are your child because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, as our Savior. And when we are living our life in relationship with you, though it affects us uh, in our nation, um, God, that's whether we take our last breath today or, or you return tomorrow, we are ready. May we all be ready and seek to, to find those who we can, can give the message of hope to who, who can also be ready. And now we worship you, we honor you, we praise your name. It's the only name by which we can be saved, Jesus Christ. It's in your name I pray. Amen.